Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing high-quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And the host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs' Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from Blighty, the big smoke, London. And in this episode, we're going to be delving into the world of the last mile of delivery with our guest, Lachlan Laylock from Stuart Deliveries. The key areas we're going to cover are how you can make your life easier as a leader. Secondly, why the data you're swimming in could be the stone to sharpen your competitive edge. And thirdly, the importance of addressing the really good, the bad and the damn right ugly within your teams. And we're not talking about looks. So welcome, Lachlan. Welcome to CTO Confessions. It's great to have you on board. Likewise, TC. Thanks so much. I'm very happy to be here. Brilliant. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. What do you do, Lachlan? So well, I, I'm a CTO uh, and I understand that that's, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a description which can mean many, many different things. And in, in general, it means something different for every single company. Um, but if I, if I were to sort of summarize at least what it means for me is that... Uh, I, I have the role in a business where it's my responsibility to, to sort of bring, bring the technical aspects of a business together with the business aspects uh, so we can, uh, we can find solutions for the business, which are technical solutions. That's, I know that's very vague, but actually, I think my job is quite vague. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, I must admit, when I um, when you look at all these kind of different roles, there's a lot of overlap and there's interpretation, context, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. So so in terms of um, uh, your journey to to where you are now, you know, this tech leadership role, the CTO. I mean, what's that been like? What's what's your journey been like? Uh, it's been it's been a really exciting journey. Um, it's been probably now. Uh, around about uh, somewhere between 15 20 years that uh, that I've been I've been working in tech uh, it really started off when I was at university and the internet arrived and I realized that the business degree I was doing wasn't exactly what I wanted to be doing um, and I got into got into engineering got into development uh, building websites and stuff like that found myself uh, starting my career at Amazon in Japan um, which uh, which was an, an incredible experience, and I uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, but soon afterwards, uh, I really sort of got the itch to to start doing my own thing, mm. um, and uh, I started freelancing, and then I uh, and then I launched a, a startup pretty early on with uh, with a friend of mine from university, um, and it was very much like an Etsy. We launched right at the same time as Etsy. Uh, and they were just quicker and better than us, so we uh, we got we got squashed. Mm. But uh, but it was an incredible experience uh, in and of itself, and um, and that kind of led from one thing to another. Then I started a digital agency with a friend. We got bought out by uh, by one of our clients. We then launched that into a into a into a startup as well, which had which had some pretty pretty good uh, success. It was in the uh, in in the sort of sports gaming arena. Wow. And we had uh, we had partnerships with the NBA, with the NHL, uh, with the um, 
NFL as well. So that was really exciting. Um, and then that sort of brought me to where I am right now, which is the CTO uh, at Stewart, which, yeah. uh, which is a really fast growing startup. I think we should call it scale up now. Uh, doing last mile delivery in uh, in uh, in Europe. So um, it's been it's been quite a ride, starting with uh, you know really really big tech companies, and then going all the way down to the smallest, uh, starting your own. Yeah. And now I'm sort of halfway in the middle in uh, you know in a fast growing uh, scale up like Stuart. Wow, yeah, it's, it's quite an oscillation that from the kind of working with the biggies to the smallies and to the biggies again. Yeah, absolutely. But but I really think that that's actually been one of the one of the kind of uh, lucky points that I've had is be able to see that that whole sort of spectrum. So you get to see what you know what real organization looks like when you know you you know fifteen hundred developers who are you know, all sort of working together in one place, and then you have uh, you know two developers working together. It's yeah. a complete ball game. But being able to see that, uh, I think, uh, has really helped me, and it gives. It really gives you the perspective to be able to know that, you know, when when you're running a really small business or a small engineering team, what's important in the way you do it is completely different from a, a medium-sized engineering team to a really big-sized engineering team. And yeah. Being able to understand what what are the different the different sort of stages which were acquired throughout the growth has uh, has definitely been very helpful for me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I can imagine that's taken quite a bit of toll. Well, toll is probably a strong word, but it's kind of had an impact on uh, you as a leader. You know, the kind of the, the, the you have to kind of morph uh, to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and often what, what I think those kind of lessons are lessons you, you learn the hard way. <laughs> and, and basically you learn it by seeing, oh, you know, the, the business has evolved. Uh, it needs me to have changed as well, and I haven't changed yet. And now I'm in a spot of bother. I have, I've got to change, yes. Uh, and I've got to do things differently. So, so that was kind of, you know, a, a few experiences like that. Uh, obviously, at the time, I didn't recognize it for that. Um, but now, with sort of a bunch of years behind, I kind of do recognize it. And, and one of the things which I think really now is uh, is helped is to be able to kind of know when when you have to sort of step back from the day-to-day stuff and know when you sort of have to start looking further and further ahead right. so that you start predicting and being more proactive about uh, about sort of being ready yourself and making sure your team's ready for what the business is going to need yeah you know, in the sort of uh, the short medium and, and, and long term wow and, and in terms of um you know obviously there's self-leadership there knowing being aware and adapting um, have you kind of used any uh, things like mentoring or kind of coaching to kind of help you through that kind of journey? Yeah, so in in, in the beginning, um, probably not enough. Uh, I really could have benefited. Well, that's not true. I mean, in the beginning, there were definitely some mentors that I had, but it was rather informal. I didn't even recognize it being, being what it was back then. Mm. But, you know, clearly looking back, there were a bunch of people who had a serious positive impact on, on, on my career. But it's actually really been in the sort of the last couple of years, actually, really since I joined Stuart, that I've started to I've started to use that as a, as a much more uh, sort of formulated and proactive approach to to, to helping myself grow yes. and to helping my uh, and helping sort of cover cover the areas where I know that I'm not so strong, so that then I can focus on the areas where I where I know I am strong. So. You know, part of it is talking to to other CTOs who uh, who've had you know 
got through the kind of experiences that you're going through. And the other is, you know, maybe on other things which are not technical as well, but, you know, just having general management, coaching and training, I've found that uh, that really helps. But what is kind of like the, the predicate to all that is you have to understand where you need help before you can actually go out and seek that help. And that kind of introspection, I think, is uh, is something which is uh, is often overlooked, but, but really, really important. Yeah. Fantastic stuff, and 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 just to kind of mention IT Labs, we actually have an internal uh, coaching program to to help kind of leaders kind of aspire and get them out of their comfort zone. You know, so it's it's it's, it's about kind of pushing them as well and, and seeing where their kind of boundaries are. So, yeah, I think that's. Uh, I, I think that's a really great thing, and that's it's one of the things that I've actually started to do much more recently as well is to to really help the people who report to me directly, so my my senior managers, help push them work out the direction that they want to go in and help push them and make sure that they don't sort of get stuck in their uh, in, in their comfort zone as well. Because in the end, everybody wants to grow in their career. Everybody wants to have a career that's moving forward. And it's always one of those things that you look back, you know, at the end of the year, you look back and say, how much did I grow? And and often you, you're actually quite help, happy that somebody pushed you, pushed yeah. you to achieve more than you kind of thought that you would have been able to. So. Absolutely. And just yeah. to just as a kind of quick reflection i mean uh, the coaching has had a huge impact on me it's been some of the biggest leaps and stuff so yeah it's good it's good that you you know you're looking at that for your kind of people and stuff yep. so so in terms of the company steward then um this kind of deals with the kind of last mile logistics of, of deliveries tell us a little bit about that sure um so it really is that it's the it's the very last hop uh in the in the whole logistics chain and in, in general, there's kind of three three main parts to it. You have like the fast food delivery, which is you know hot hot from the restaurant straight to the end customer in you know as fast as possible. Usually, it's under thirty minutes. Wow. Um, and that's probably the one which is kind of best known uh, when we talk about the Uber Eats and the delivery kind of uh, kind of world. And, yeah. and we're very active in there as well. Um, then you have the grocery delivery where you you know order your groceries online and uh, and they get delivered by by someone uh, you know usually within sort of a one to two hour window. And then you have the the e-commerce one where you know I might go onto Apple and uh, my you know, new new telephone I can get it delivered in uh, in a couple of hours. Uh, and and we do all those kind of deliveries. Um, so uh, it's you know it's quite new. It's very very innovative. Um, and uh, and has, uh, has has a very interesting social side to it as well because uh, you know what what we, what we do is we we really sort of improving the way that logistics is done in inner cities to make sure that you have less cars, less congestion, less emissions. Mm. Uh, so there so there really is a very sort of strong uh, sustainability aspect to it, which is uh, which is personally one of the things which which sort of helps me uh, keep uh, keep passionate passionate about what we're uh, what we're doing it's true is knowing that you, you have a positive impact uh, not only on the people who are receiving packages but on everyone uh, in, yeah in I love that yeah I, I can imagine uh, getting that efficient because uh, I mean I love uh, win-wins you know where if you're kind of making more money and you're kind of uh, you know uh, you know dishing out less dis um, pollution into the into the environment. I mean, that must be a great thing to do. Um, so in terms of optimizing this kind of last mile, I can imagine it's like a little bit of a, um, a dance, you know, you're trying to kind of juggle 
juggle kind of you're trying to kind of navigate this kind of dance floor in the most efficient way you can um and so i mean what kind of what are the kind of key challenges you have around that sure yeah you're you're absolutely right it is uh it is extremely complex uh and in fact the the, the optimization problem which is you know loosely based on the on the vrp the vehicle origin problem which probably a lot of people have heard about um, it's considered an empty-hard problem. So with every sort of step that the, the size of the problem gets bigger, it's exponentially more complex to, to, to solve the problem. Right. So that, you know, that really is at the very heart of what we do. And as a company, we've been growing over the last four years on average of 3x every year. So when you're growing an empty-hard problem 3x every year, I can assure you it's extremely complex to keep scaling uh, that, and and that's by far been you know one of the sort of uh, the, the biggest technical challenges that we have, um, and and you know if you think about it, you can imagine like imagine a city like London or Paris on a Friday night, and you can sort of imagine like this sort of big big chessboard with all these pieces moving around, you know quite quite fast <laughs> with requests for packages dropping all over the place. Yeah, and, and at every sort of second, trying to optimize that, um, and uh, we, we've come up with some some really exciting and uh, innovative approaches to that. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of our sort of data science team has uh, has expertise there, and I'm always amazed by the, uh, the the brilliant solutions that they come up with. So by far, that's been the uh, that's been the biggest technical challenge we have here. Yeah, wow. I mean. So in terms of uh, all these things happening, in terms of, let's say, for example, you see a change in a situation, you've got a delivery driver kind of going in a particular direction. Um, I mean, what's the kind of lag? Uh, as something changes, you change direction of the driver going? or Is it that real time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It has. It really has to be uh, in, a, in, a, in a sort of a time frame of a couple of seconds. Wow. Uh, any, anything longer than that uh, really starts to, to have negative impact. Um, and, you know, for, for the size of the problems that we deal with, uh, traditional VRP problems, you know, take sort of minutes or many minutes to, to, to solve those kind of problems. But in that real time environment, many minutes is, uh, is just, it's just not good enough. It's way too late. Yeah. So, uh, so it really has to be in the, in the sort of under 10 second range. Wow. And that is a, a really considerable challenge. But if you can't, if you imagine it, you have somebody who, on a Friday night, uh, is asking for a delivery, and they're waiting, just like with Uber, they're waiting for for the, the driver to get found, and that waiting can seem like uh, an excruciating long time when you're yeah. the customer. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so bringing that down is, uh, is is really the key challenge. Brilliant. I love that. I, I can. I'm just kind of got a picture in my head. You know, as this stuff kind of real time, and it's all automatic. It, it's uh, it's not something that you manual inter intervention. Yeah, absolutely. So it is, it, it's, it's fully automatic. Uh, and in fact, like there's, you know, you, I mean, we do, we do around about a million deliveries uh, a week these days. So you just, just could not do that uh, automatically. Mm. Uh, and uh, and that, that number is growing really fast. But of course, uh, th there are always still edge cases, which, which, which pop up. Uh, a driver having a flat tire or, uh, or or some other you know un unexpected uh, outcome happening and you, you always have to have the ability to be able to have manual intervention uh, as part of the system yes. so, so we always have this kind of this 
this this, this dual edge uh, situation where we, we we want to automate as much as possible, but we we want to be able to allow a manual operator to step in and override in the case that uh, that it's needed. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, right, that is an important part as well. Uh, and 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 just kind of in terms of the factors that affect the driver, obviously you kind of mentioned kind of you know cases where you know there's a flat tire or there's been a a prang you know you, you hit a car or something like an accident. Um, into I mean does it kind of factor in things like um, traffic and uh, known kind of roadworks and stuff? Yeah, so so traffic and roadworks are are things that sort of affect us a little bit less than you might expect because the vast majority vast majority of our fleet sorry are on bicycle and so you know they're often riding down bicycle lanes uh and uh, and so traffic doesn't affect them quite so much um but nevertheless you still have you still have situations where you know you might have various parts of the city which get closed off let's say for some kind of uh, a Christmas market or, or something like that, or maybe there's a demonstration or, yeah. or who knows what. And so, yeah, we, we, we have to include uh, into that, uh, into our mapping software, the updates to say that, you know, this part is closed now or you can't go through here or, or that kind of thing. Yeah. So that then we can route our drivers around. And obviously, you know, if, if a driver can't go through a particular area, he has to go all the way around, it'll make it much longer. So then, you know, the optimization would, would prefer to have another driver somewhere else. Yeah. They don't have to go through that area and they can go through, uh, you know, quick more quickly. So being able to sort of react to that quickly is, is also one of the, the, the more difficult things we have to do as well. Cool. Sounds like a, sounds like a pretty amazing system. Um, so in terms of, uh, you know, your leadership, coming back to your leadership, Stuart, what, what's your kind of passion around your role? I mean, what gets you out of bed in the morning to kind of think, well, I'm going to go for this? Um, I, I, I think there are, there, there, there are two main things. Um, and, and I sort of might have, might have touched on them a little bit uh, just before. But number one, and it's not, this is really for me as a CTO, regardless of whether I'm at Stuart or, or in the past, but the, the thing which really makes me uh, excited to, to wake up in the morning and go to work is, is just solving problems, actually. Um, I, I, I really love being confronted with difficult business problems and finding technical solutions to that. Right. Uh, and, you know, even in a day-to-day, -day, uh, today it's good or when I'm you know, running a small startup or, or, or a big one, you, you still have these moments and these opportunities where you, you know, you're confronted with a, a difficult problem and you have that sort of moment of clarity where you see a bunch of different things all fit together. And, and you see that there is a, there is a solution there, which is uh, which is a new solution and you know a great solution. Yeah, you know, it's the boxes, and that's that's something which really really keeps me passionate about this job. I love doing it, and I'm lucky because I mean you know CTO really is about finding solutions. So so I, I guess that's probably why I found myself in, in this kind of a job. Yeah. Um. And and the other one is that I I really get a lot of satisfaction of knowing that. The, the solutions and the work that we do have positive uh, and, a, and a tangible positive impact on, on people's day-to-day -day lives. Oh. So, you know, for, for example, I, it happens to me quite often that I can be sitting in, uh, in a meeting room in our, our steward offices in Paris and I'll see uh, a steward delivery guy walk by, uh, drive by uh, on his bike and, and that really gives me a sense, of, uh, a sense of achievement and satisfaction to know that you know, that guy, is uh, he's got a flexible job, 
he's earning uh, well above the minimum wage and he's uh, he's enjoying what he's doing. So and and somebody's getting delivered much something much quicker than they would have otherwise. So so there's there's definitely that sense as well, which uh, which keeps me passionate. Excellent. That's something good. Yeah, it's like a string of win-wins, you know. It's a, it's a, it's a long string of win-wins. Um, so in terms of your leadership, sir, uh, you know, what what is it, what's your kind of leadership style like? I mean, if I, if I was kind of working for you, how do you, how would you lead me? Um, I, 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 I really believe, uh, I really believe strongly in, in the talent of the people that I, I, I have in my team, um, and and I and I try really really hard to always hire people who are better than me. So so the way I hire so you know if 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 I have a team of people who for, for various different things uh, are better than what I can do, then you know it would be really silly for me to tell them what what to do. Mm. So my job I see is really about giving them context about what what are the problems that we have. Uh, what, what are the what are sort of the directions that we need to go in, and what are the things that we need to we need to do? So yeah. to me, I really see it about giving context to the team, giving them enough information for them to be able to solve problems, and then letting them come to me with the solutions and the, and the solutions. Sorry, the solutions for the problems that uh, that we have. So so it's really about empowering the team um i i really try really hard to tell the team what to do i uh, sorry i try i try really hard not to tell them what to do um it, it it does happen sometimes when you know the team might be sort of so 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 sort of like nose down into different problems that they don't sort of see things from a higher level mm. and uh, sometimes i feel like i do have to give a bit of a nudge in one direction or another but in those cases then there is a very strong consensus consensus building effort as well yeah. Um, because I really feel that as soon as you start telling people what to do and you start telling them how they have to do things and what they have to do, then then they stop thinking for themselves in, in, in one way and they start just sort of doing, start doing what they're told to do. And that's definitely not the kind of people that we want to have. We want to have people who have, you know, initiative, that they're proactive and they're always thinking about what's the best way to solve, solve problems. So giving them the ability to do that uh, is, uh, is definitely the way I, uh, I run my team. That's, that's, that's great. I, I love the idea of uh, employing people that are smarter than you, you know? I mean, do, do you interview people and go, damn, they're smart? <laughs> Why can't I be like that? <laughs> well, yeah, I, it's funny, actually. I, I, I got the idea, and it does, it does sort of, sometimes it might seem a little bit counterintuitive, but I, uh, I, I do remember hearing uh, that Steve Jobs once said that uh, A-grade a people hire A-grade people and B grade people hire C grade people. And that, and that really stuck with me. And I, and I realized that as a leader, what part of your job is to build a team and you want to have the best team you possibly can. And success often is not really just about, you know, having one good person or two good people. It's about having a team of good people. Yeah. And if you can find people who who, 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 like I think I mentioned before, who can who can fill in your weaknesses, who can who can fill in the parts where you're not good. You find people who are better than you at those things. Mm. Then you create you create this kind of this this environment where everybody knows that they're there because they have some great talent, but they also know that they're relying on other people for their talents where where they might not have a talent as well. So you kind of create this culture of 
people relying on each other, but also people, you know, willing and want, wanting to have other people who are better than them. One, because you can then learn and you can improve yourself, but also because you have a culture of bringing the very best that you can find. Yeah. And and that's something which has served me really, really well over over the years. Um, you know, and I've always been really proud about uh, about the, the teams that I've built. I, I we you know we might get to it later, but there there, there is definitely one downside to that approach. Um, but it's only a small one, um, and uh, and I think the benefits definitely uh, uh, are definitely outweigh the uh, the negatives in that situation. Yeah, that's great. I think that's the really noble way, and also it makes your life easier, I guess. You know, if you've got a fantastic team around you, you know. Uh, well, absolutely, and it also means that if you if you have a fantastic team, you can then focus on what you do best as well. And, yeah. and, you know, when something comes in that has to be done and you know you're not great at it, uh, but you know but you have somebody who you know is great at it, then it's a pleasure to give that, per- that to that person and to see how they do it. You learn how they do it. And you personally don't have that terrible stress of having to do something you know you're not really great at. Yeah, that's right. Makes life easier all around, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and, all, and, yeah, and obviously people that are good at stuff, you know, they love doing what they're doing. So it's a win in that direction. God, we've got wins everywhere here. There's wins. <laughs> everybody's a winner <laughs> absolutely one of the things which i might say though and i kind of mentioned it was that you do run the risk though of of, of getting into the situation where you have that uh, that sort of that you know it's a cliche to say it, but that 10x engineer that engineer who is like amazingly amazingly strong and really good um and you know perhaps better than everyone at that particular thing but they they, they're just not a good team player and yeah. you know you end up creating a kind of a, a toxic environment and it's definitely one of the one of the mistakes i had in the past is suffering that that, that toxic 10 engineer for, for for too long because i sort of held on to that idea that you know i really want to have this person around because they're so good at what they do yeah but you you can't you can't let that uh that individual talent uh impact and override the, the group dynamic yeah. So one of the, definitely one of the one of the mistakes I've made in the past is holding on to those those people uh, for, for too long, and and now I've definitely sort of learned that that the team dynamic is is by far the most important thing of everything, yeah. and uh, and in those cases you really have to prioritize and privilege the team dynamic over the individual uh, individual skill set. So I, I guess hire people who are better than you, but the team dynamic is still the most important thing. I think that's a really good insight, actually, because uh, sometimes we do forget. Um, in the past, I've had experiences of what I call towers of knowledge, you know, individuals that are uh, just absolutely rock stars at what they do. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, they, they, I guess, I mean, do you see them as a kind of risk as well in terms of having all that knowledge and ability? And it's just kind of all encompassed in this one beautiful human being and they walk, yeah. you know, it's kind of done. You, you absolutely do have it, and, and it really comes down to the, the team culture and the team dynamic. So, you know, I, I've worked with several several personalities like that where they are, you know, extremely strong on a technical level in you know, one domain or another. But for for one reason or another, and often, often there is an ego, uh, you know, there's often an ego reason there, um, things tend to not go so well. And actually what you see is that the overall output of the team is probably not higher than it would be if that person wasn't there. Or at least that's the inflection point where you know you have to, you have to do something. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you know, I have uh, I have definitely sort of 
had the very good for fortune and, and still have today at Stuart to be able to work with a number of people who really are exceptional in their field, but are also extremely humble, extremely good team players. Yeah. And and they themselves privilege the team dynamic as well. And 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 when and that is the win, that is the ultimate win-win situation. And you know, there are a lot of people out there, but uh it's just uh, it's just one of those things where uh, which you have to be careful of, I think, as, as a leader. But it's not it's not that's not something for a CTO. I think that's for any manager of any any team. Uh it seems to happen a lot in technical teams, but uh, I think it's a pretty general comment. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Yeah, that's the, that's very important. So, so coming on to the kind of teams and um, and the teams that you have, and and speaking to the big, huge, massive elephant uh, in the shape of a, a um, virus, uh, COVID nineteen. You know, how have you dealt with that? Um, we, we we've been really really lucky at Stuart actually because from from the very beginning when I joined uh, five a little over five years ago now. We we started hiring people remotely, um, and and that you know if you if you want to find the, the best people, you really shouldn't be uh, well. It's my feeling, at least, you really shouldn't be restricting yourself to the people in a geographic radius around where you are. Mm. Um, and so we you know we started hiring people pretty much from anywhere uh, in Europe. Um, and so from quite early on, we we started to to build. Uh, a remote team, um, and we also had two two different engineering poles, one in Paris and one in Barcelona. So when you have kind of half your team in Barcelona, a quarter of your team in in Paris, and another quarter spread out across Europe, you already have to start working as if you're a distributed team, right. as if you're a remote team. So when everybody then had to go home and they weren't allowed out for for a couple of months. Honestly, our day-to-day -day work hardly changed. Wow. And and actually a lot of my engineers started to say, you know, this is amazing. I've never been so productive. Um, <laughs> right. Obviously a couple of months in, they started to say, you know, I really need to see my colleagues. <laughs> um, but but we were very lucky uh, in that regard. And I think I think a lot of uh, a lot of other companies that uh, that were, you know, starting to embrace the, the remote, uh, the remote approach. Observe the same the same thing. It, it really does build a kind of an extra level of, of redundancy into into the way your team works because because they're distributed by by nature. Mm. Um, but having said that, we're now one one year into this kind of you know in and out of lockdown, and you know even people who are fully remote they they do need to catch up with their colleagues every now and again, and you know it, it is starting to take a toll on everyone. I think. Yeah. Any. I, I, uh, it's not kind of funny, really, but I, we kind of joke about cabin fever. You know, we're kind of stuck in our rooms. And it's the same environment; everything's on a screen. Uh, but um, I, 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 yeah, it sounds like you're kind of in tune with your teams, and you kind of know that you know um, they they need maybe some kind of support. You know. Well, I, and I think that's one of the things we've been really lucky with is that you, when, when you're remote, you you really have to you you have like. It, it's really a question of survival, actually, in in, in, in that sort of uh, professional space. You really have to communicate, and and body language isn't really going to help that much. Um, whereas it does help a lot in an office environment. You really have to proactively communicate. And so, our it's actually our our, our platform team who was uh, who was predominantly uh, remote before. 
they, you know, had, you know, they were all serial remote uh, engineers and had been doing that for, you know, sort of at least five years in, in the vast majority of cases. So they they were really instrumental in helping to coach the rest of the, the engineering team. And actually, they helped coach the rest of the, the steward business uh, in, in general on, you know, what, what are the best ways of dealing with uh, working remotely and and, and what, what are the sort of the techniques for making sure that you're, you don't feel isolated and when something's wrong, how do you, how do you deal with it? And it was, it was really nice to sort of see that they could then share that, that expertise with the rest of the company. And, uh, and, and mm. so that, that I'd say it was a very lucky coincidence for us that we, uh, that yeah, we managed to land on our And you got some nice locations as well, Paris and Barcelona, you know? Yeah, I can I can tell you for uh, for our yearly offsites we get to uh, we get to go to some really nice places. There, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so in terms of um, leading teams, uh, kind of uh, as as a technology company um, or the technology solution, uh, do, do you use kind of outsource uh, outsourcing at all? So we yeah we, we generally don't rely on it that much. Um, we we do have a few freelancers who work for us and have been working for us for for a long time. And, you know our approach to freelance really is uh, is a, sort of an, on an individual basis and it's really a sort of a, a medium to long term engagement. So it's definitely not short term kind of stuff. Um, but having said that, you know there are there are a few sort of cases where we have uh, we have engaged with, uh, with external outsourcing. And where, where I've seen that it, it doesn't work so well, where I've seen that it, it does work well, and this is, this is not just Ed Stewart, but definitely in, in, in the past as well, is it, to me, it's always worked really well when it's something which is a little bit sort of on the, on the it's a bit of a satellite project or something, a little bit on the periphery of what is the very heart of what you do in, in, your, in your business. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where, the business really needs you to do it, but it's, it's really not one of your main priorities right now. And it's also, you know, not absolutely sort of mission critical to, to the success of the business. But when it's one of those things where, you know, you see that there is a business ROI, it's a little bit on the side, maybe it's a proof of concept. In those cases, I've seen it work quite well. Yeah. And so it gives the business an opportunity to, to build something up, uh, see if it works out well. And if they do, they do esteem, you know what, we actually do have a serious business opportunity here, then there is an opportunity then to maybe sort of bring that into the sort of core team or to, to sort of uh, do, do an, a, a sort of a, uh, a handover. Yeah. Um, but those handovers tend to usually be a little bit difficult, I find, and there is uh, often quite a bit of sort of technical debt to, to sort of pay, pay back. But... The, the theory is that you've, you've established that there is, you know, a really good business opportunity, and whatever that technical debt you have to pay is, it's worth it's worth it yeah. for the opportunity. So in, in those cases, I've definitely seen that uh, I've seen that it, it works. And I mean, in, in, in the twenty five, sorry, in the in the fifteen years, twenty years that I've been doing this, I there, I have almost never seen uh, a, a tech startup or scale up that has had enough engineers to be able to do all the things that the business wants to do right so you're always under this pressure to be able to do more um and sometimes there are those there are those situations where you can do more without endangering sort of like the core of what you're doing and, and outsourcing can be a good solution for that. yeah i love that I, lo- I love your kind of view on uh, 
the kind of technical debt that you've got to pay back around, you know, around the outsourcing. That's quite an interesting angle, actually. Because it's it, it's not just, it's not to say that you know the the engineers who you bring in outsourcing are, are bad engineers. It's just that they often don't have as much context as the engineers who are working inside. They may not do things in the same way. They might have different approaches, and you know, it, it may not just fit the way you want it to fit. And so you kind of need to do things uh, a bit differently. And then there's also the whole just, you know, get, bringing in the knowledge, understanding how it works. Um, and that is that is definitely a debt which you have to, you have to pay. Right. I, I remember um, back in my uh, software engineer days when I used to be an embedded software engineer and uh, I worked on uh, mobile transmission, you know, the RF. And, uh, and I remember the lead team lead saying, it's going to take about a year for you before you can really kind of do anything useful. I thought, wow, you know, a year. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, a year's quite a long time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know if that was a reflection of my skills or uh, or the actual <laughs> subject. <laughs> um, but uh, I, thankfully, audience, I wasn't that bad. I did actually get going within a, within a month. <laughs> um, so, so coming to the technology that you use in your space, um, you know, AI and ML. Uh, how, how do you use that? How, is, is it a big part of what you do? Yeah, um, absolutely it is. Uh, when, when I actually first joined Stuart, uh, I, uh, I was introduced to what they called the data team, uh, which was two, uh, no, one data scientist and one uh, data engineer, who I had you know, never had any experience with that kind of thing uh, at, at that time. And, uh, and, and pretty quickly it became really obvious to me that uh, data, uh, especially machine learning, was really going to make a really big difference to Stuart having a competitive edge or, or not in, uh, in in the last mile delivery uh, market. So I uh, I set about uh, building a, a, a data science team, um, and we started to get some some really talented people. And then I realized, you know, as as I mentioned earlier, that it's it's beyond my expertise so we went out and uh, we found a uh, a chief data officer somebody who uh, who really specialized in that um and now we've uh, we're, we're building you know a, a really uh, world-class team in that area and and some of the things that they work on are uh, you know obviously the optimization problem there's a there's a, there's a really strong part there um those guys are taking the the way we optimize it way 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 beyond the, the basics of uh, of vrp yeah. um and then we have, you know, a lot of other stuff around uh, pre predicting of supply, predicting of demand, uh, predicting uh, time to arrival. So, you know, if I if I were to ask for a driver now at this place, how long would you predict that driver to to, to, to take? Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot around uh, detecting uh, fraud. Um, so, so we have we, we have a huge amount a huge amount of areas where. Where AI can help us at you know the very sort of fundamental level of uh, of what we do, mm. and uh, and you know often we've been we've been really amazed by by, by how good the results can be from uh, from what that team can, uh, can can bring up. Fantastic, yes. I mean, you hear a lot about AI and ML, and uh, and it, 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 I'm kind of curious about it because it's not an area that I'm in. You know how how useful and the kind of uh, return on investment you get from it. You know because it's. Well, well, it's one of those things is that um, it, I, I think that the, the, the potential there is always really, really strong. I mean, it depends on the area. Some areas have, have greater potential than others. Um, but, but the hard part is 
is, is knowing how to extract value, business value, and how not to get sort of stuck into the quagmire of mm-hmm. research, researching different models, researching this and that. How, how to sort of uh, start off with, you know, sort of an MVP in that, in that AI machine learning kind of sense, start with something simple, add business value, and then keep iterating. Um, and that's where I think that uh, there is quite, quite a kind of a, a small group of people these days who are, who are good at managing, uh, managing data science and, and, and have the skill to be able to, to extract business value out of the research uh, in timeframes, which, uh, which, which makes sense for the business. So the possibilities are often endless, but you can't wait for an endless amount of time. You have to be able to bring value to business to, to, to justify it. So that is where the real challenge I think is. Yeah. Um, on the other side and more concrete uh, side, you know, I do see we have, we have lots of issues just with data quality, uh, being able to get good quality data, which means you really have to invest heavily in having uh, proper data pipelines, proper data platform, making sure that the, uh, the, the data that you're capturing is quality. I had, we had a head of BI uh, who, uh, who said uh, to us once uh, with respect to data, she said, uh, rubbish in, rubbish out. Yeah. And uh, that, that has haunted me ever since. And uh, it, was, it was one of the truest things that I think I've heard in a long time. So really investing on making sort of the quality of your data you're ingesting is, uh, is high, pays, pays dividends uh, down the track a lot more with actually being able to, to bring business value to market quickly through data science. Beautiful. In fact, um, you, you might be interested in this podcast we're just about to release, which is, um, and, and the gentleman there, the CTO, talks about the, the Maslow's hierarchy of data, uh, you know, so, you know, trying to kind of get the right layers, you know, there's no point doing, right. trying to self-actualize from the data if you haven't got certain other things in place and i thought that was quite intriguing oh yeah well i i i, I haven't seen it but i uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if having a proper data ingestion would be the very important <laughs> yeah that's right excellent so um coming back to your kind of leadership and yourself your kind self what keeps you up at night as a, as a tech leader um I think that one of the one of the greatest sort of challenges, which uh, which I, I you know I still struggle to to, to do well, is uh, is being able to sort of marry the, and I think this is this is the classic thing um, to be able to marry the difference between the need for business to to move fast to 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 sort of react to uh, to to an ever changing uh, market. Mm. And be able to try things quickly, to be able to marry that with the need for for engineering to to focus on quality, to make sure that uh, solutions are scalable, and to make sure that you do things properly. Uh, because you know, as soon as you kind of lose sight of of, of quality, you get into a slippery slope of uh, of, of introducing uh, instability low quality code, uh, unmaintainability into a platform. And from there, you're on that slippery slope where it takes you longer to longer to add value, longer to implement new things. Mm. And, and, and those two forces are, are really conflicting and really contradicting. Yeah. It's pretty rare for me to have seen a business where 
both sides, the, the engineering side understands those business needs really well, and the business side understands those engineering needs really well. And for there to be this kind of like global understanding, mm. I find that's rare. And and being the CTO, you're right at the nexus point between those two those two forces. Yeah. And and I, I still haven't nailed it. And it's one of those things which I you know I find uh, I find really hard. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of a term that we use in coaching which is uh, the yes and, you know, there's, there's a, it's almost like a paradox. It's the two have got to exist, coexist, and it's just finding the best balance you can between them. So there's never a right answer. There's always a continually re-evaluation of that answer. Yeah, 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 it's hard. And and you kind of, you never really know which, it's a bit of a knife in, you, you really never know which side you're on. Yeah. And you're probably never right in the middle. You're probably always leaning from one side and into another. Yeah. Um, I guess along with you can sort of keep keep. Well, it's a bit like working on a tightrope, I guess. As long as you can keep upright, you'll probably be doing well. Yeah. So so in terms of um, that, this particular challenge that you have, is there anything that you see uh, that makes it easier to do that? What would make that easier? Well, I think, I think uh, it's actually quite funny, but I think one of the things that make it easier is, uh, is empathy. Uh, people understanding, you know, what are the needs of each, of each party, Understanding why they they have those needs that definitely helps a lot. So so knowing why uh, and having as I said earlier having having the context that helps a lot. And and that's one of the struggles you have in in, in a business as it gets bigger and bigger. The the leaves on each sort of end of the kind of the branches and you know the trunk they get further and further away from each other. And, and and maintaining that empathy gets that uh, gets harder and harder as they sort of uh, they get further and further apart. But definitely, you know, having having ways to uh, to, to improve on that, I think would uh, would definitely be uh, definitely be a help. That's great. That I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that with me actually because I think that's a great bit of advice. Empathy. <laughs> and so um, as you as the audience can't see it, but I've got the uh, the great library behind me and in front of me. Uh, so is there any books that you recommend? Lachlan. Yeah, uh, sure. I mean, I, I assume that most people have these kind of uh, these these like milestone kind of books that that you know, as they're reading them, they sort of a, a real watershed moments in understanding and, and, and let's say enlightenment in their in their professional career. And, and there's definitely one that to me sticks out head and above shoulders of the, of the rest. Um, you, you might have heard about it because I hear people talk about it a lot, but it's called Turn the Ship Around. Yes, by uh, David Marquet, and f- for me it was it was a real moment of enlightenment because I actually saw that the approaches that he took in the in, in the stories were very very similar to the approaches I had, but it was really important structure framework and and a much greater sort of level of uh, eloquence to to them, which I you know they were just sort of unformed ideas, and to see it actually structured and work in practice. Mm. Was a really big boost to my confidence as well to know that actually this is this is the right well this is a right way to do it. Yeah. Uh, so that was a huge one. There, another one which actually came out from that was uh, is called the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Oh, I love that. Um, you know, I think I think a lot of people know about that, and, and I and I feel that I should be sort of finding the less less well known ones. But again, uh, I, I found that was pure gold, and uh, and and the, the the seven different habits that come out of that were for me. Uh, uh, you know, useful on a daily basis. But there is one here which which people may not know so well. 
and it's actually quite an old one. It's uh, it's from the 90s. It's called The Age of Intelligent Machines by a guy called uh, Ray Kurtzfield, who is a technologist from uh, the MIT Media Lab. And, um, you know, he, he wrote about a very sort of optimistic uh, future with, uh, with uh, AI and nanotechnology. And, and, I, and I read that at the very beginning of my career, and it was like this kind of opening up of possibilities. And, and it just, it excited me so much that you know, really from that moment on, I kind of just plunged head into the world of tech. So, so for me, that was that was a really big one uh, in terms of, sort of giving that motivation and that kind of boost to, to get into uh, into tech. Excellent. I, I'm going to add uh, I, one of them. The, the first one uh, is one I've always had. In fact, it's here somewhere amongst the books. Um, and uh, I, I'm going to read that now. You've inspired me to kind of pick that one back up and get on with it. But uh, but I love this idea of books actually being gateways. I think you called it a kind of watershed moments yeah. when you read a book and a, and, and, a, and a penny drops, you know, you think, yes, you know, and uh, and I have a few of those. And uh, yeah, it's great. It's great to hear that, you know, um, someone similar to, you know, me has kind of had those kind of experiences in books. I'm sure there's many in the audience that have the same. Um, so in terms of your journey and advice that you can give to kind of aspiring tech leaders out there, what would be your tip around that? Um, that's, a, that, that, that's a hard one because I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm very conscious of the fact that, uh, that, uh, what it, what it means to be a, a CTO or what it means to be a tech leader is really different in every in every organization. Mm. If I could if I could try and find some kind of advice, uh, I, I I would, and I think we've probably there've been themes which will probably come up during the, uh, the our talk. But you know, number one I think would really be the more the the better you as a tech leader can understand the needs of the business, the greater the value that you're going to have to the business. Mm. And ultimately, as a tech leader, that's what you're there for. You're there to create business value. So the better you can understand it, the better you can do it. And you know, I, I have to admit, I do often see that tech leaders sort of forget about the business side, and they do get a little bit too sort of stuck, lost in in the technical side because that's what that's what we're good at. But we ha we can't forget that we're there to create business value, and so we have to understand the business as best we can. So I think that's probably the the number one thing. Um, but if I could, if I could, uh, if I could allow myself to, to, to give a second one, I, I really think it is that is take the time uh, and understand the importance of of looking ahead. As as a leader, you really have to be thinking about what is my team going to need in six months? What is my team going to need in twelve months? What is a business going to need from me from tech in six months and in twelve months? And and start thinking about it and preparing for it now, because the, the minute you get out of this sort of reacting to issues and the minute you're in a proactive stance where you're actually preparing, mm -hmm. I mean, everybody knows when you've prepared for something, it goes much better than when you're reacting to something. <laughs> yeah. That applies to you as a leader. So the more you prepare for the future and the more, you, the more you're preparing your team and you make them think about the future, the better you're gonna, the better you're gonna be able to to deal with the future as 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 it comes, and and I see that we often get too stuck in uh, in sort of the operational day to day, and every time in the past where I've stepped back and and really had that look forward, uh, it's always served me really well. So I think that those are those are the two big things that I would uh, I would impart on anybody who's looking to be a, a leader. Yeah, I love that, and 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 to kind of touch on the last point you made there around kind of. 
um, stepping, st stopping for a moment to kind of plan ahead. I mean, how do you do that? Because obviously I can imagine your, your world's kind of like a whirlwind of stuff going around. It's like a tornado of stuff, you know? Yeah. How, do you, how do you plan? Well, it's a, it, it's, it's a mix of small tactical things and, and bigger strategic things. On, on the small tactical level, it's about, it's about carving out time. Uh, which sounds so simple, but it's so much harder than we all, I mean, we all know how hard that is. But you know, there, there are some great techniques out there for, for, for making sure that you do have time. And you know, I literally like block off parts of my calendar on a regular basis in the morning, for example, to focus on strategic topics. And it forces me to think about the future. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's one way, uh, I think, at a technical level. And then at a strategic level, it's really about it's really about saying, what are the things that I'm going to invest my time on? So I'm not going to invest my time on working out what are the little details for, for how, how are we going to implement this problem or how are we going to implement this problem? I have a team of people who are better than me at that. So I'm going to give it to them. I'm going to let them work that out. And instead, I'm going to think about, you know, how are we going to solve this big problem or, or, or what, what is the direction we need to go for this for this big problem here. Yeah. I, I think it's about trying to kind of trying to kind of step away as much as you can. It's not easy and often you get dragged in from those kind of immediate urgent things and, and force yourself to spend time on what are those sort of more medium to long-term important things. And it's hard because those urgent things scream really loud. Yeah. And if you are working on those urgent things on a day-to-day -day basis, you kind of feel like you're actually getting making progress. But then, you know, six months later, you look back and go, what did I really achieve? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the way I try to do it. But, uh, it's not easy for anyone. No, I can imagine. So the next part, I'm going I'm to pretend to be a tech genie. Right? I'm going to give you a wish. What would your wish be? For, for technology in general? Yes. Or for your leadership or your teams? Um. I think I, I think that I would really one of the things where I think that we we really would I, I would like love to have like a magic wand is with like technology to collaborate as teams. Um, we, we've seen actually since COVID we're locked down, there's been this big explosion of of new startups and new technology in that space, which I'm I'm super happy to see. Mm. But I still feel that we have so so much further to go to be able to effectively and efficiently collaborate as a team. Mm. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, where you have, you know, in, in, in many tech businesses, you have sort of like the, the tech side and the business side. And as it gets bigger, they get further and further away from each other. And you really want them to still stay really close. Working out technology that can help us do that, uh, I think is something which uh, I, I would really love to have. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what that technology would be or, or, or what it would look like, but I do see that there is a huge amount of improvement to be uh, to be made in that particular area. Excellent. I'll see what I can do, being the <laughs> genie that I am. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for your time, Lachlan. It's great having you on, on the podcast. Loads of wisdom um, that we've kind of gathered here. And uh, thank you very much for your time. Many thanks, TC. I, I really enjoyed it. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, it was great speaking to Lachlan. I never really understood the complexity of that last mile and how technology is sharpening the cutting edge of competitiveness and efficiency. 
The ideas that Lachlan shared about his leadership really resonated with me. Don't tell anyone, but I try to make my leadership as easy as possible in a very similar way. The choices we make as leaders and what we employ as our strategies around our leadership can lead to either making your life easier or harder. I especially like creating trust and delegating. Whenever I choose not to do this, I always feel the pain of my choices. So my key takeaways from the podcast are as follows. Be aware of your leadership choices. You can either make life easier or harder for yourself and those around you. Hey, life's complicated enough. Why would you want to make it harder? Secondly, the importance of addressing problem generators within your teams. Reading between the lines, it looks like the toxic members of his teams really created some lingering pain. I know this from bitter experience myself. You have to deal with toxic behaviour. The people aren't bad, it's just their behaviour and it needs to be addressed. So as leaders, we have to address it. Thirdly and finally, making sure your code does not slip down the slippery slope of poor quality and poor maintainability. It's like an amplifying gap. Small gaps have a feedback loop of consuming time and further slipping away from the ideal position. So thank you, Lachlan. Well done to you on your leadership and on the ongoing growth of Stuart. It was great to hear your story and the success of your organisation. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Lab services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.